1: Hey, listeners. Welcome to the Thoughts from a Page podcast. Today, in lieu of my January behind-the-scenes episode, I have a special Get to Know Me chat trio edition with two other fabulous podcasters who have book-related shows. I will be collaborating with them more in the year ahead, and I'm excited for you to get to know them better if they are not already on your radar. I'm so happy to collaborate with Victoria Wood from Biblio Lifestyle and The Reader's Couch, and Amy Allen Clark, who runs the momadvice.com blog and hosts the Book Gang podcast. The links for their shows and websites can be found in my show notes, and I hope you will subscribe to both the Reader's Couch and the Book Gang podcast if you haven't already. In today's episode, you'll get to know us better, how we became connected, who we are, and our relationship with books and reading. We'll also discuss how we got started sharing content online, provide book recommendations, and discuss what you can look forward to from each of us in the year ahead. I really hope you enjoy this special episode. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds.
2: We hope you'll come and listen. And as always, happy happy reading. reading. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.
0: Hi, readers. I'm Victoria from Biblio Lifestyle and the host of the Reader's Couch podcast, Today, I have two bookish friends with me. I
2: have Cindy.
1: Hello, I'm the host of the Thoughts from a Page podcast.
2: And Amy. Hi, I'm Amy Allen clark from momadvice.com and the Book Gang podcast.
0: I'm so excited we three could get together because I just love connecting with bookish people, getting to know each other, and of course, building friendships. And that's exactly what we're doing here. So you'll hear the three of us together in the months ahead and hopefully much longer. Now, when I meet new friends, I always want to know what is your backstory? What's your history with books and reading? So Amy, tell me, what is your relationship with reading?
2: Well, when I was a kid, we had a bookmobile that would visit on the corner of our street. I have so many good memories of grabbing a paper bag and just filling it with books on the days that they would come. But I've always found books are a great connection in my life. It really, I'm socially awkward and I rely on books a lot for facilitating relationships. I had a really special bond with my dad though. He worked a factory job, so it was always challenging to spend time with him. But one commitment he made to us was that he would always take us to the library. And he worked swing shifts. And anyone who has ever had a parent that works swing shift, it's really hard to make time for each other when you have such unusual work schedules. So I'm really, really grateful that he cultivated that in me. I always look forward to the library visits. It's something we continue to build on. As I'm an adult now, I often text him and ask what he's reading, or he'll text and send me book recommendations. So I'm really, really lucky that that has been a big part of my childhood. What about you, Cindy? That's so interesting, Amy, that you mentioned that about your parents, because I think
1: that's where I got my love of reading as well. My parents both loved to read and would always make sure we had plenty of books around and chat about books and all of that. We moved a lot when I was young, so we were always someplace new. And it was nice to just have the comforting companion of the same books and know I was comfortable with that. But I've loved to read since I was little. I can't remember a time that I didn't love to read.
0: Same here with me. The difference is it was always my grandparents. My grandparents prioritized books and reading and it helped that my paternal grandmother, her best friend was a bookshop owner. So I would be there on weekends and my granddad would always take me to the library. So I'd be at the library maybe twice a week sometimes, but every Saturday I was at the bookshop and when my mom would go shopping, she'd go to the meat market, which I was not a fan of she would always leave me at the bookshop. I'd always just have my pick of what I wanted to read. My grandma had a tab there, so that was helpful. And of course, just always having the choice of what I wanted to read at the library. The library was a first place, and the bookshop too, where I made my own decisions. Was the library the first place or the bookstore for you ladies as well?
2: Always the library, always. Also, we were so lucky because of the school programs that they had. I did the Book It program, Maybe maybe uh, I'm dating myself here a little bit, but I was always trying to earn that pizza, you know, <laughs> for my reading life. So I was always participating in things like summer reading challenges that the library would offer and making huge, ridiculous goals with my reading life. What about you, Cindy? I
1: love to participate in those summer reading programs that the library had. And I think it was a split for me, the bookstore and the library, but my parents were the same way. They didn't worry about what I read. They let me make those choices.
0: Yes, yeah, same here. We had a reading competition. And when I say reading competition, folks would be like, wait, what? Were you? Did you have to read out loud? I was like, no, actually, they should have called it reading comprehension <laughs> because that's really what it was. You'd read a book, you'd write about it, and they'd give out prizes. You know, You'd get pizza, you'd get cake, and at the end of the summer for a whole weekend, they'd have a party. But I love reading challenges um, and reading competitions. It was just so, so, so much fun. But was there a standout book for you ladies? What book would you say was really formative? Maybe when you were a little, little or a teen? Cindy, what book stood out to you?
1: I was trying to think through this because there are obviously series that I loved. I loved Little House in the Prairie. I still have my box set of seven books that my parents got for me and then the extras that didn't fit in the box set. I read Nancy Drew religiously. I loved them, even the later ones as they came out. Trixie Belden. I don't know if I can think of another book that really stuck out to me other than those that are part of series. What about the two of you all?
2: You know, I was thinking that I should come up with a very classy response because The Secret Garden really was like my favorite book when I was growing up. And I definitely read the Laura Ingalls books as well. But I think that I should give a more truthful response because there was one book that I got at the Scholastic Book Fair that my parents still laugh about. And I would read this every year, religiously. It was Six Months to Live. It was written by Lurleen McDaniel. And if you thought that there couldn't be a sequel to this, there was a (laughs) sequel (laughs) because she does go on and live in case you were worried. But the blurb of it, I had to look it up. There is a copy of it at Thrift Books. I'm kind of tempted to buy it. It says, 13 is supposed to be a great age, dances, cheerleading, boys, but she never thought it would also include cancer. Dawn Rochelle is about to face the toughest fight of her life, a fight she has to win. Otherwise, she only has six months to live. So, I feel like this really says a lot about my reading personality. I still like to be devastated by books. I'm not afraid of sad girl books. And I think this was just a start to my sad girl era. So, I just want to give a shout out to any readers who love a good angsty read.
1: (laughs) Okay, that's too funny. And I love The Secret Garden as well. That is such a good read.
0: See, that's what I was going to say The Secret Garden. This is too funny. So, my nan was an avid gardener, she had a green thumb, to be fair both of my grandparents did. Um, My granddad, you know, he focused more on produce and vegetables and herbs and that kind of thing. But my nan had an envious rose garden. So folks would come all round just to come to the garden, just to see them. She'd sell some. So I guess you could say that was her side hustle, though I don't think side hustle was a word back then. But she had just beautiful, beautiful roses, many varieties, many colors. I think the second close one, would be lilies and oh man what was the other one I can't remember now but I used to imagine going in her greenhouse was the secret garden that book absolutely mm-hmm. captivated me and she had a really really big greenhouse and Alice in Wonderland that was huge because of the tea parties I like the idea of that because again my nan would have folks round for tea She was head of uh, the Women's League, so she would be organizing tea parties and all these things. So those books were really, really um, formative, but I have to say Enid Blyton. Those were independent choices of mine. I mean, I think I was gifted the set, but those were books I read that she had no opinion on. She had never read them, so these were all me though rereading them nowadays, I have to say, you know, it's a bit problematic, but (laughs) I still have fond memories of boarding school because it kind of prepared me of my schooling as well. So
1: I read Jane Austen in high school, Pride and Prejudice, and that developed my lifelong love of her. And I reread that book probably every other year. So I will say that starting from high school on, Jane Austen is probably one of my very favorite authors.
0: Ooh, see, I'm the opposite. I love a Bronte. (laughs) (laughs) I'm with you. I'm with you. I love those dark, dark books. Gothic, eerie, turn of the screw, Henry James High School. But I have to say, Rebecca. Rebecca was always a standout. That's the book I read every two years. But I do love A Pride and Prejudice. I'm not hating, but I'm a Bronte girl.
1: That is okay. I'll forgive you.
0: (laughs) So now that... I think we've shared a bit of our backstories. I'm really curious about how we got to this place in terms of sharing bookish-related content online, reviewing books, giving recommendations, making guides. I mean, we three really do it all. Amy, how did you get into the bookish space and sharing book-related content online?
2: So I've been a content creator for 20 years, which is so weird like when I think about how that all got started. But I actually started as a blogger and I didn't focus on books. I was in DIY craft, food, that kind of thing. And I guess it was around when my daughter was a newborn. I realized that I had really lost my love of reading. I didn't spend any time doing it. And I was nursing. So I was trying to figure out a way that I could get reading back into my life. So I started a Book, like a book basket that I sat next to my glider, and I would, you know, read while I had all these nursing sessions with my daughter. And I realized that, you know, when I would share about books, I felt like people just came out of the woodwork. They wanted to talk about it. This was a time where people were just sitting around on websites and we were, you know, having these really great conversations back and forth. And I guess when I really took off with book content was around 2014, I decided I was going to start a book club and it was going to be hosted on my blog. And I was looking back at the site to see who it was that I had asked initially. And it was Charles Belfour, and he wrote a book called A Paris Architect. And I was like, I wonder if, you know, we could get him to talk to us about the book And I started hosting authors on the space there, and then it evolved from there. I did a Facebook group for readers. I moved our book club discussions over to that platform. I hosted a reading retreat. And then in 2020, I was looking to kind of evolve my space because I was facing some medical challenges and I needed to figure out a way where I could move into a different lane. Honestly, reading is great because it puts your body in a state of rest. And when you are battling something, you really need to be mindful of how you use your energy. And so I was like, I wonder if I could perhaps start a podcast and niche out through that. And that's really how it began. I did not realize that this was going to be something that I would really take seriously, but it has been a wonderful way to transition. And I think it's a great thing for my audience too because you know my my son is 21 now and I'm not sitting on websites I'm actually listening listening to a lot of podcasts so it really made sense to move my space in that way
0: I love that what about you Cindy
1: well I was a lawyer and I practiced until I had my third child who's now 18 and then I took a break did volunteer work and was trying to figure out where I wanted to go after that I didn't really want to practice anymore as a lawyer And I just couldn't figure out exactly what it was I did want to do. And one day somebody mentioned to me a Facebook group. I was on Facebook, but I didn't even know anything about Facebook groups. And this was probably 2014, 2015. So I joined the group and realized, oh, there's all these authors and you could interact with them there. You could review books early. It opened up this entire new world to me that I didn't even know existed. So then I established Instagram and it's just kind of slowly snowballed from there. I started writing book columns. I started my literary salon. And then eventually during COVID, I am a doom scroller. Like when things are super stressful, I have high anxiety levels. And my husband's like, you need to figure out something to do other than just constantly scrolling through your phone and telling me all the bad COVID news. So I started looking around and I thought, well, I love to interview authors for my salon and I would interview them for the bookstore that I worked at a lot. And so I thought, well, I'll try podcasting. So I launched into the podcast. So it was just kind of one thing after another. I feel like a little ball rolling that just kept getting bigger and bigger as things got added to it.
0: That sounds similar to my story as well. And the one thing I've gathered from all three of us so far is transition. We were going through uh, transitions in our lives because I was going through a transition as well. I had made the decision alongside my husband to move to the States permanently and move here full time. And just, we moved a lot, uh, mostly for his job. At one point he was moving for me, I moved for him. (laughs) So it's fair to say, You know, it was my turn. Now it was time for me to move. So, when I moved to the States full time, I had no friends. I had a career I loved, which was in healthcare. I worked in radiology, absolutely loved it. But moving healthcare to the US, moving that profession wasn't as easy as I thought it was. Surely wasn't as easy as he thought it was. And I was just in a place of, well, what do I do? Do I go back to school? and you know start all over again or do i take this opportunity as an opportunity to do something new so that's what i decided to do so it was great to kind of stay home be available for the children but then i was able to explore my pursuits and the one thing that kept coming back over and over and over again was books because in my downtime when i was working full time in healthcare i would always sneak away go to a reading go to a book fair go to a festival, speak with authors. And now I had all this time to do just that. So it started with an Instagram page in 2017, which then evolved to a newsletter, which evolved to a blog, which evolved to a podcast, a virtual festival, and it just kept going. And now I also offer uh, services if authors or agents want book tours or publishers even. So I've just been adding more and more onto my plate, but it's fair to say I was going through a transition as well.
1: I think that's a good point, that you need a change in your life and then you ended up heading this direction, because I think it is difficult. There are times in your lives when you're trying to figure out, what should I do next? And we all felt the call of books.
0: Yes, yes, it's very clear. We all did indeed. But with that, right, with posting book content online, having a personal reading life beforehand, how has your reading changed, Amy, if any, since posting content? Has it enhanced your reading life? Are you reading more? Are you reading less? Are you reading what you want to read? Or
2: are you reading to make content? Yeah, I think it would be dishonest to say that having a podcast doesn't change your reading life, at least for me. The focus of my podcast is debuts, backlists, under the radar books. So I am always looking for books that people haven't necessarily been introduced to. And I specifically make requests for authors that have smaller publicity budgets because I feel like we all kind of know the big buzzy books that are coming out. But it's harder to give time and resources to someone who may not have a huge marketing budget that's not as well known. And I do spend a lot of time trying to find voices like that. It's something I had talked to about with you, Victoria, but I do spend some time on TikTok, curating books that I see. And I bookmark creators and authors that I think bring new things to the table. And often that kind of naturally shifts my book stack because I'm looking for those kinds of things. I also just would say that I feel like this has been a good challenge to read more diversely. I don't want to only focus on one particular kind of genre. I, I want to be really aware of that. And I'm also looking for authors that are BIPOC authors so that we can have good diversity as far as representing lots of authors from lots of different lives on our show.
1: What about you, Cindy? I think having the podcast has definitely changed the way I read. I feel like I have been exposed to so many more authors in a great way. I get pitched a lot more books. I have encountered a number of authors that I wouldn't have, I think, without the podcast, because even having Instagram, I felt that was helpful in the book columns. But really, when I added the podcast was when I started getting on so many different publisher emails. So then I get pitched things that I would not have been pitched before. And so I read much more broadly. I love to find hidden gems and under the radar books, but more than anything, my focus is the books that I have truly loved. So I read ahead so that I can find the books that I've enjoyed and then reach out and say, okay, I loved this book. I'd really like to interview so-and-so. So that's my focus is finding those books that really speak to me and then interviewing the author about them.
0: My reading has changed tons since creating content online. I grew with you, Cindy. Instagram. Is good and it was good for a while for me, but then I started seeing the same books. And like you, once I started creating content, I was on publisher lists, I would get pictures more as well. And like you, I read ahead so I can recommend what I love. And I think that's more of my focus. It's really, really hard finding those hidden gems. I really try my hardest to, but it is a challenge because I'm relying on professionals to pitch me books. I'm looking around myself, but sometimes I'll miss a book or two. And I was like, oh man, that's really good. I wish I had the opportunity to read it ahead of time, but you know, it happens. And I wonder if any of you feel the pressure to read more to keep up, or do you get bombed if you miss a book or two?
2: I I can speak to My experience this year is that I decided that for our book club, we were going to read only backlist. And I feel like a huge weight off of my shoulders, because I did feel like there is so much competition to chase the new and shiny, that by pulling myself out of that space, I felt so relieved. And it was easy to find lots of backlist books. But chasing the new and shiny, I always feel this sense of urgency. And it was so refreshing this year to just kind of slow down a little bit and be okay that I wouldn't get the scoop on the new thing. I only do that for the summer guide, and then we don't do anything after that. And I really feel like my mental health is a little bit better when I'm not chasing that kind of feeling.
0: How has it been working for you, Cindy? Do you feel bombed when you miss a new book?
1: You know, I don't think I do. I love looking ahead. I always have. That was one of the things that appealed to me so much about this space is learning what's coming out in the future, reading it, deciding this worked for me, this didn't work for me. I have often found sometimes that the new and shiny that's everywhere isn't a fit for me. Like I frequently find people will be raving about some book and I read it and I'm like, meh. So, you know, it just kind of depends, but more than anything, I just love to find those books that I love. I mean, that is kind of my goal. So it doesn't stress me out. And if I miss a book, I'm like, oh, okay, I'll pick it up and read it. But I do love finding those people that know where to look. Like that has kind of been Kelly Hooker, who we were talking about before we started recording, is a good friend of mine. And we work together on a variety of things. And she also loves looking ahead. And we spent a lot of time this fall finding different resources, lists, different ways that we could have a better sense for what's coming out. And then I just pick and choose what sounds good. And if I pick one and it doesn't sound very good, then I'm like, okay, I'm 15% in. I'm gonna go ahead and DNF, like I don't mind DNFing. Or if I love this book, I can't wait to talk about it. So that that is kind of how I have treated it and it doesn't stress me out. I, I love it and I just sort of let it flow. How about you, Victoria?
0: I think I'm a bit like you, Cindy. I focus on the joy, focus on the books I love. I actually have a hard time talking about the books. That didn't work for me. That used to stress me out quite a bit because I used to strive to review every single book I read. And it was proving to be incredibly overwhelming, number one. But I struggled when I didn't like a book and I didn't feel it was fair to review a book that I did not finish. Because, like you, I li- liberally will DNF a book. If it's not working, I'm just like, eh, maybe I'll try again, or maybe it's just not for me. But no, I, I don't feel the pressure. I look ahead. But most importantly, I carve out time to read the books I want to read because I'll look ahead and I'll try reading a book for content. So I'm looking ahead to say, oh, what's what are the books that are coming out in 2024? Let's get going. I start reading. But every so often, I will stop. Um, I'll look around and I was like, well, I haven't picked up this book that has been on my shelf forever, or I wanted to read this author, let me get started, on their backlist. So I think I've done a good job of balancing what I want in a given moment, while also reading ahead, which I do select the books I choose to read ahead. But if I'm being completely transparent, reading ahead, looking ahead, it's purely for content. Whereas when I look at my bookshelves or I will look for a particular author that's been on my to-be-read list, whether it's reading their entire catalog or just revisiting a book like Rebecca, Pride and Prejudice, Turn of the Screw, rereading those books are for me. And um, that's the way I find balance in a world where I am looking ahead and creating, but I'm also still achieving my personal goals of reading an author, or a backlist book. Does that make sense? Absolutely.
1: It totally does. I agree completely.
0: So that's my approach. But again, creating content online, if you're not careful, it can be a hamster wheel, but I'm happy we're doing what works for us. So 2023 was quite the year for books, like every year. Are there any standout books for you, Amy, that you read in 2023? Tell me about some of the books that you read and loved.
2: So the first book I would say that I hope people check out is Shark Heart by Emily Habick. I thought this was one of the most imaginative and profound magical realism plots of the year. And I thought that this was such a magnificent book about what families face when navigating a difficult diagnosis of any kind. I told you guys I am not shy from emotional books. This was honestly a very cathartic read for me things I personally had not processed and what it means to be loved by a spouse through challenging seasons. If people haven't gotten it, it's really about a couple navigating a really fantastical kind of diagnosis. He has a shark mutation because they have animal mutations in genes. And basically this takes away an element of his humanness. And they are trying to navigate that very first year of marriage together as they Navigate this really challenging thing. And I just thought it was so imaginative. I haven't read anything like it before. Although my husband, who's a big fan of anime, says that I should check out anime because this plot is pretty familiar in his territory of more fantastical plot lines. But I absolutely loved it. I also want to mention a book that won't come out until March, but I got to screen. And it was The Girls We Sent Away by Megan Church. I Thought it was one of the best historical fiction books that I've seen this year. It's all about the baby scoop era, which was a period roughly from the 40s to the 70s when unmarried pregnant women were coerced or pressured or forced to relinquish their babies for adoption. And so it's a page turner about a teen girl who's incredibly gifted. She wants to be an astronaut one day, but she ends up pregnant. And of course, the boy, he, his life goes on, but hers is abruptly changed. And as the title hints, she is sent away from home. And it's really about you know, how women aren't taught anything when they are young about their bodies or what's happening, and basically how we would send girls away and then expect them to come back and just go back to their regular lives. And I thought it was just an incredibly emotional, evocative, atmospheric kind of book that I think a lot of readers will like. And the last one I do want to mention is a backlist book that I had on my stack forever. As I was screening for the book club, this book was one that I had been thinking about tackling for a long, long time, but it was the length that was scaring me. It was a 624 page novel called The Most Fun We Ever Had by Claire Lombardo. I know a lot of people have read it, but if you haven't, it kind of reminded me a little bit of the TV series Parenthood, where it's like super claustrophobic. It's only about their own family. There's not a lot going on outside in the world, but it's about these parents who have this really insane love for each other and they have four grown daughters. And they're navigating basically a family member they did not know existed in their lives until later. And how those dynamics between the siblings play out, it just plays out in exactly the way that we all kind of default back into our old selves when we all get together as a family. I will say it really surprised me. It was spicier than any of the romances I've read this year. And so if spicy romance is not for you, this might not be a perfect fit. But if you're looking for a book that's going to take you somewhere else into like an insulated bubble outside of politics, outside of everything happening in the world, I thought it was a really, really good one. And
1: I think she has a new book coming in 2024, I'm pretty sure.
2: Ooh, I'm excited. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad that I waited as long as I did. I did not realize it was a, a 2020 Women's Prize in Fiction nominee long listed for that. And I... I feel like with big books, I often have a hard time getting started and then I'm always glad I do it. But it's just that that page length that really scared me. (laughs) I get that.
0: I get that too. But Cindy, what are your books that you read and loved from 2023?
1: Well, it was perfect because I just recorded my end of the year favorites. Kelly and I did our top 15 favorites. And so I was like, okay, this is all very fresh in my head. I've worked through everything, decided what I wanted to list and include. So I was going to pull three off of that. One was The Berry Pickers by Amanda Peters. It was a debut that just came out in October. And it is about a family that is in the Mi'kmaq culture and they live in Nova Scotia and come down in the summer to pick berries in Maine. That's their job for the summer. And one of their little members, their daughter, goes missing. And then you toggle back and forth with Norma, who lives in Maine and grew up with these very claustrophobic parents and she doesn't understand why super secretive family. And so as the story unfolds, you learn a lot about both locales, the culture, but also what happened. And I just thought it was so well done. And it makes you think a lot about trauma and secrets and how those things will bleed into the future if they're not dealt with. So I thought that book was beautiful and has a stunning cover. I'm such a cover person. And the cover on that one in the U.S. is just beautiful. And then I loved The Bitter Past by Bruce Borges, and that was a mystery that came out in July, it takes place in Nevada, toggles back and forth between the present and the past when they were testing nuclear weapons in the rural area of Nevada. So that was very interesting. It has one of the best endings of a book that I have read in forever. I was so surprised, thought it was very, very well done. And then Homecoming by Kate Morton. I'm a huge Kate Morton fan. I've read all of her books. This is her first book set in Australia where she lives. But it has a book inside a book, which I always think is a very clever way to structure a book. And I just loved everything about it. She really works on creating strong sense of place. And you can feel that. I mean, you feel like you're in Australia right there with everything that's happening. And I just loved all three of those.
0: I was struggling with this, Cindy, because unlike you, I'm still working through my top (laughs) 10 list for the year. I haven't recorded that episode yet. I'm hoping to do so in a week, but I was thinking about this one book in particular that I read earlier this year, really, really early. I think it was probably one of the first books I read in 23, and it's I Could Live Here Forever by Hannah Halperin. Now, I do gravitate to books. Let me just say, first off, I do gravitate to books. That center addiction. It's something that's incredibly important to me. So maybe if you know you're a bit sensitive, reading um, stories about addiction, maybe it's one to avoid. But if you're open to it, this is just a really tender and um, it's heartbreaking, but it's it's such a really great read. And in the book, we meet our main character who is in college. Doing her master's degree, I think. And while in school, she meets this musician and they're absolutely smitten with each other. They just absolutely adore each other. But as time goes by, she knows something is off. And he eventually tells her that he's a recovering addict. And unfortunately, as time goes by, she starts to notice changes. He becomes increasingly paranoid, his behavior is erratic. And then it's revealed that he's still using. So we see her having to kind of struggle between wanting to kind of save him, but having to decide, well, do I need to save myself? We also see her because again, she's in college dealing with friendships. She's also dealing with complicated relationships with her family, while she's also focusing on her writing because uh, she's a writer and that's what she's doing in college. So um yeah we just really see this young woman just really thinking about her future knowing in her head this man is not good for her but in her heart you know she wishes the relationship could last and she loves him and she wants to be with him so the thing i really loved about this book is just how much the author humanizes addiction and i felt she wrote both their stories with real compassion and just real tenderness you know i think this book would be good for Sally Rooney fans maybe so any fans of maybe normal people or Jay Quatney Sullivan, Friends and Strangers? I think you you would a- appreciate this book. And that I could live here forever by Hannah Halperin on the more fun, I guess you could say, and lighter side. Although this one is a thriller, I'm still thinking about the last word by Taylor Adams. And because we are book people, we see a school teacher, just an average person reading a book and leaving a public one star review the author reaches out tells her hey you need to take it down she refuses and this author who clearly is a psychopath it just pushes him off the edge her one review it's set i think in it's the west coast i think it's maybe washington or oregon state so you kind of get this you know dark eerie vibe it's it's off season so we see this woman just binge reading her never-ending supply of self-published books. We see her dealing and thinking with her problems. She walks her dog. It's a it's a nice house on the beach. But again, this author is unhinged and um, it's a thriller. So he becomes menacing. Um, trouble just comes straight to her front door. I don't know what to say without spoiling it. But yeah, so... If you've ever wondered about what might happen if an author takes your one-star review a bit too seriously, I recommend this book if you love classic uh, stalker tropes. But it's fresh. It really feels fresh. There's good tension, good plot, uh, good twist. Um, I enjoyed this thriller uh, very much. So that's a bit more on the you know entertaining side. But then I think the third... Book I would recommend is The Three of Us by Aure Abage Williams. I love a book that's set over the course of a single day. And I think it's my early experience with Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf. So when I see a book set over the course of one day, sign me up. In this book, we see three people. We see a husband, a wife, and the wife's best friend. And the author divides the book in three sections. So we get each of their points of view. And essentially, we see them fighting for her attention. And the long-standing tensions between the husband and his wife, and then also the best friend just kind of come to a head. We see the wife grappling with being a mother, whether or not this is something she wants to do, or if society wants this from her. Her best friend in college is kind of trying to remind her of her values and what she thought her life would and should be in college. And then there's a husband who is, you know, trying to get the air of his wife, but you know, the best friend is just all about it. So if you love a good character study, and if you want to see what would happen if your best friend and your partner hated each other, then this is
2: the book I recommend to you. Those all sound good. I'm trying to be quiet and not be writing things down while we're talking, so everyone has to send me their list when we get off here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, for sure. But seeing that we also look ahead because we're content creators, is there anything anyone is looking forward to reading in the year ahead? Or do you have any reading goals? Let's talk about reading goals real quick. Do you have any reading goals or intentions for 2024?
1: Cindy? Reading goals. That's always a good question. I am knee deep in 2024 reads. I, as we were talking, I read ahead and there are so many great books coming out. So I can definitely say 2024 is going to be a good year. But reading goal wise, I think just to continue to read broadly at talking a little bit about what Amy was talking about, read diversely from a wide range of people's perspectives. I think that's very important. And also just to continue to challenge myself to read things that I wouldn't think would appeal to me, but in the end they do. So I think that's probably about it. What about you two?
2: I wanted to read more romance this year because I feel like it was a genre that I had been sleeping on. And as I start reading them, I'm starting to realize how wonderful and soothing they are to my nervous system to just like read a cozy romance before bed. So I am going to start a routine that as my bedtime routine to read a romance before bed and see if that helps my body reset for the next day. But also I am going to continue reading our backlist books because I really want to have a dedication to that this year. And what has been really fun is just interviewing authors about their backlist books because they're not on tour anymore and they're out of that kind of messaging system that they might be in. And it's really, really fun to get to talk to them or revive something that has not had a lot of attention more recently and have them come back. So my goal is to be doing more of that in in the future. What about you, Victoria?
0: I have been thinking a lot about young adult and children's books. I... I think I volley in and out of reading YA for some reason, and every time I go back, I'm reminded, ah, I just absolutely love this. But I also want to add more children's books to my reading list, because for some reason, I feel the children book space and young adult space to some degree, but specifically children, they've been doing a really great job at providing diverse reads. I actually think children's books are doing such a great job at teaching traditions and different things from different cultures. And having two new little ones in our family, we have a four-year-old and a one-year-old, not my children, but within the family. And I want to kind of share stories with them that are different, that are different from our stories as a family, the classics we're used to. So I think I'm making an extra effort to read some children's books. Over the holidays, I discovered Countdown to Noche Buena, which is a Latin tradition. And that was just really fun reading to them over the little holiday break when we just got together. And her mom loved the book too. So now we're incorporating that. So I think goals-wise, more children and more
1: young adult. I would say that I historically have read a lot of historical fiction, historically historical fiction, and I haven't as much recently. I feel like just with everything going on, the thriller space is so large. There are so many good books coming out that I have really read a lot more mysteries and less historical fiction. So one of the things I'm making a concerted effort to do is to make sure I'm picking up plenty of historical fiction because I love it. And I feel like it is so entertaining and I learn so much. And so I want to definitely make sure I return to reading more of that.
0: Oh, how fun. So since we look ahead, like I said earlier,
2: are there any books you're looking forward to reading in the year ahead? Amy? Yes, I have three I'm really excited about. One is called The Dissonance by Sean Hamill. He is an author that I think is one of the best in the horror genres. He wrote a debut called A Cosmology of Monsters. If you haven't read it, it's amazing. And he has a book coming out in July. And this is a fantasy with a mixture of the magicians and it. So if that sounds appealing to you, it's about three high school students who were students of this eccentric professor trained in a secret system of magic known as the dissonance built around harnessing negative emotions like alienation and anger and pain. And then 20 years later, something between these three happens and it shatters everything that's going on. So they're summoned back to Texas years later where they have to confront their past and grapple with the dark magic of the dissidents. So I'm already on board with this one. The second one is A Letter to the Luminous Deep, which is by Sylvie Catherall. This is the Sunken Archive book number one, and that comes out in late April. It was recommended for fans of A Marvelous Light and T.J. Klune. So this debut is supposed to be a cozy fantasy And it is described as basically a discovery outside of the window of an underwater home that prompts a reclusive person to begin a correspondence with a renowned scholar. And the letters that they share are filled with passion at first for their mutual interests, but then they inevitably end up being for each other. And together they uncover a mystery from the unknown depths destined to transform the underwater world they both equally fear and love. So basically, a year later, this sister comes and this brother stumble upon the mystery of their siblings' disappearance with letters, sketches, and field notes that are left behind and uncover something about their siblings that they did not know before. So I'm on board with this one. And then the last one I want to mention is The Great Divide by Christina Henriquez coming to bookstores in March. And This is the author of the book of Unknown Americans, which I got to interview her about that book, and I still remember it as one of my favorites. This is described as an epic novel of the construction of the Panama Canal, and it's about the stories about the people that helped make this. We're exploring lives of activists, fishmongers, laborers, journalists, neighbors, doctors, and they say soothsayers. So people that are rarely acknowledged by history, even though they carved out the course of that. So those are three I'm really excited about. What about you, Victoria?
0: So I, again, struggle with, okay, what books do I want to share? So I decided to focus on authors I love and who have exciting books coming out. So one author I'm really excited about is Rachel Kong. Her new book is entitled Real Americans. Maybe folks remember her from her, I think it was her debut or maybe not. I think it was her second novel, but it was Goodbye, Vitamin. And now she has a multi-generational epic about identity. It's over three generations of family. And I just, I love her writing. Um, Goodbye, Vitamin was just so good. It had an Alzheimer's story at the centre. I remember because I think I've reread that one three times now. I am going to revisit it before her new book. But um, yeah, Real Americans. Rachel Kong. I think maybe one of the most anticipated books of twenty twenty four is going to be Wandering Stars by Tommy Orange. Tommy Orange is known for his bestseller There There. I think he was a Pulitzer finalist for that book. It was a really really big deal. It's dubbed a modern classic. But now his new work is Wandering Stars. That comes out in February. So I'm looking forward to reading that as well. And in terms of horror, I think there's this one author who is doing something different. It's not very traditional, but I just really, really appreciate his work. And that's Stephen Graham Jones. His new book is The Angel of Indian Lake. I think that book comes out in March. And it's the third book in a trilogy, although I should say each book can be read as a standalone. Book one is My Heart is a Chainsaw, book two is Don't Fear the Reaper, and book three, which comes out in March, The Angel of Indian Lake, and it's the Indian Lake trilogy. He, he's just really doing something different with horror. I love his work, and I look forward to each of his books. So I would say those are the three I'm looking forward to. What about you, Cindy?
1: Okay, you guys in the horror, I am such a wimp. <laughs> so you describe those and I'm thinking, yeah, no, I can't do that. I'd never sleep again. But it's such a popular genre. It is. Yes. But the Tommy Orange, Real Americans and The Great Divide are all three on my list. I have them here and I can't wait to read them. And then the three I'm gonna talk about are actually ones I've already read because I loved them so much. I wanted to just go ahead and mention them. And the first is The Husbands by Holly Gramazio comes out in April, it's a debut. And a woman comes home to her flat in London one day. And she walks in the door and someone says, hey, honey, and she's like, who the heck is this? I live by myself. And she finds out that it is a husband, her husband, that she didn't know existed. So she's trying to wrap her head around all that. She's freaking out. He goes up into the attic to grab something. He comes down, a different husband. So every time the guy goes up in the attic and he comes down, it's somebody new. So I was so curious where this story was gonna go. I thought it was such a clever premise. And I thought after a hundred pages, am I gonna be going, I'm really tired of this premise. But she really takes it in some fascinating directions, and it's a thought-provoking story, and I just loved it. And I cannot wait for everyone to read it. So that's the first one. The second is Northwoods by Amy Pease. It's a mystery that comes out in January. And Victoria, you were talking about addiction. And the interesting thing about this detective. That is solving the crime is that he is an addict, and she really inhabits what that is like for him so vividly. I read it, and then my husband read it, and we both talked so much about it because she just makes you understand what that addiction is like for him and how hard he has to fight to try to not drink. So Mm -hmm. I thought that was really well done and a little bit different for the beginning of a mystery series. I thought it was just beautifully, beautifully done. It takes place, I think, in Minnesota. The crime is a really interesting one. The mystery is really interesting. And then I liked the add-on of the police detective being an addict. And then the third is The Turtle House by Amanda Churchill. It comes out in February and it toggles between Japan right after the war, World War II, and Texas in the late 1900s. And a woman who is an architect in school at the University of Texas has dropped out. Her grandmother, who had immigrated from Japan, is living with the family. They're both clearly going through a lot of trauma and drama. And they spend all this time together, working through what's happening for them. It has one of the most stunning covers. I've met Amanda at a conference in the fall in Denver, and she is delightful. It's another debut. And I just can't wait for people to read it. I actually picked it as one of my early reads for my Patreon group because I loved it so much.
0: Oh, that is so exciting. I love all these books. Like Amy was saying earlier, I was trying hard not to be rustling for paper here to write those down, especially the one about different husbands. Man.
1: Yeah, it's really clever. It was another one that they were really hyping at that conference in the fall. And Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be a huge book.
0: Oh, it sounds like it. It sounds like it. Okay. So in closing, first, of course, I want you to tell readers, remind them where they can find each of us, but what are you doing different or what can readers look forward to from you on your
2: respective platforms? What are you doing, Amy? So we're excited to kick off the Mom Advice Book Club year, and that happens this month in January, so it's a really good time to join. You can visit the website, which is momadvice.com, and discover all 12 selections, which is honestly a huge <laughs> undertaking to pick 12 books at the same time, but it will give you the opportunity to meet the guests who will be joining for recorded fireside chats, or you can head to the booking Patreon just to sign up. It's a $5 a month membership. And we have guests that are topic adjacent, like we have authors sharing on their parallel storylines for their backlist books, or we have people who have personal experiences with book club topics at hand, or we even have creators with weirdly adjacent life experiences or niches that we are inviting to come on. We also have very, very wonderful guests that have personal family stories that intertwine with our book's themes. We really want to make this a personal year. So that when you dig into a backlist book, you have a new experience with it, even if you've read it you know, before or even read it numerous times. So every month we're going to be changing things we used to do just to type chat. This year we're going to be doing a Zoom discussion of our books and hosting an after party post for anyone who's unable to participate in the video. So you can join in a type thread if you're not able to hop on. And I really, really hope you'll come hang out with me monthly. I would be so honored to usher you into our warm community. We have a really, really amazing group.
0: Sounds really exciting. What are you working on, Cindy?
1: Well, I've been scheduling authors because I'm looking forward to more author conversations about some of the books we were just talking about. And I'm just continuing my Patreon group where we early read NetGalley widgets ahead of time and meet with the author before the book comes out. So I've been working on getting those scheduled. We have some great ones coming up, Amanda Churchill, Claire McIntosh, a variety of authors. So I'm looking forward to that. And then also just working with you two and other podcasters to kind of continue to work together, build each other up, find community in this space.
0: I think that's the thing I'm most excited about doing this with you two and just meeting new people in the bookish community. I have to say, content creation can get isolating. So it might sound, ooh, so fun and exciting, you know, writing the newsletter, doing the blog, the podcast, the festival, which, by the way, the festival will be looking different in 2024. It's still going to be fun. The happy hours that we're known for we just might be having a bit more of that because I think readers more than anything want to hear from other readers we love hearing from authors but I think the plan for 24 is to make it more reader centered which is going to be very exciting but the thing I'm looking forward to the most is connecting with more readers and having more conversations with you two Amy and Cindy
2: Yes, I'm so looking forward to this. And now I feel like my answer was lame because you guys are talking about us being together and I'm like, here's what I'm doing.
1: (laughs) Not at all, no, not at all. It's it's hard when you have to go first.
2: (laughs) I don't want to go first anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I
1: think it's wonderful and I'm so glad that we're doing this together.
0: Yes, I am too. And readers, I hope you will come along with us on this journey. Again, I'm Victoria, host of the Reader's Couch podcast. And you can find me at bibliolifestyle.com.
1: And I'm Cindy Burnett, and I host Thoughts From a Page, and you can find me at thoughtsfromapage.com.
2: And I'm Amy Allen Clark, and you can find me on momadvice.com or on the Book Gang podcast.
0: All righty, readers, that's it. Thanks for listening.
1: Bye. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of Seven Minute Stories. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I would love to connect with you on Instagram or Facebook, where you can find me at Thoughts From a Page. If you enjoy the show, please consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. If you have a moment to rate the show or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts, I would really appreciate it. It makes a big difference. And please tell all of your friends about Thoughts From a Page. Word of mouth does wonders to help the show grow. I hope you'll tune in next time.